we have noted that sometimes it's hard to come into Bible passages because we are so distant from the cultural and societal context in which that passage or that story, that narrative is given. And so that's part of our job if we're to be students of the Bible is to understand the culture and the narrative, the circumstances that would have been apparent to a first century reader who was initially reading this gospel exactly soon after it was written and between those of us who are now 2,000 years distant from that culture and therefore might not come fully into its full meaning or context. And I think that's true this morning of this passage, these six verses that Kevin read for us this morning in Mark chapter 1. Now, just by brief way of introduction, if you've been here over the last several Sundays, you know that we're going through the book of Mark in our morning services. We have been identified to a king, King Jesus, and now Mark is teaching us by his action more than his words, by his action more than his words, what this king is like. We saw two Sundays ago that he is a sovereign king. Why? Because a demon here is plaguing a man in a synagogue among the corporate worship of the Jews in a town named Capernaum, and he likely interrupts the service, screaming out about Jesus as he teaches. Thank you, Ben. And Jesus responds with a word and has the authority to cast out that demon. He is the sovereign king, and we saw that repeated even last week as not only is he sovereign over demons, he is sovereign over disease. He is sovereign over all kinds of plagues and afflictions. Last week we saw that he's the servant king. He is the servant king because in his authority he exercised it not for his benefit but for the other but for the benefit of others. He ran on their timeline not his. They lined up after dusk when it's dark at the end of a long day for Jesus when he had already been given to teaching and to dealing with this demonic demonically afflicted individual and what does he do? He doesn't turn them away and say, no, it's bedtime. No, I've had a long Sabbath day. I'm sorry, the healer is done for the evening. He goes and heals them all. And then he gets up early the next morning to go and submit to his father in prayer. This is a servant. And today we would be well reminded of the fact that true leadership is not shown by the ability to command first and foremost. It is the ability to lead by an example of service, by a a humble submission to God and to the needs of others. This is what Jesus showed us. True masculinity is servant masculinity. We have all kinds of confusion on all corners of what it means to be a man today, what it means to be tough, what it means to be courageous. Start here, be a humble servant, and you will be an example of what it is to be a true man, what it is to be and represent the character of Jesus. Now today we come, and if you remember how I previewed this for you a couple of weeks ago, we come to another aspect of the character of this king that Mark is introducing to us. He's not just a sovereign king, he's not just a servant king, but this morning I want to talk to us on the subject that he is a sympathetic king. The sympathetic king. And the reason we might have a hard time coming into this context today 
is because we're dealing with the subject of leprosy. Now, I want by show of hands today to raise your hand if you know someone who is a leper. I don't, I don't see any hands. Uh, leprosy is something that is largely eradicated among at least, we might say, first world countries, though it certainly is a problem around the world. There actually still exist leper colonies around the world. Do you know there's a leper colony remaining in the United States today? It's in Hawaii. You can look it up. I just saw an article on it from 2021. There's a small leper colony in Hawaii for, I think they said, about 10 people who are mostly elderly. Uh, that's all they've known. They've only known living there. But wh whatever it is, I suspect, again, as I've seen, none of us knows anyone with leprosy. Now, leprosy today is called Hansen's disease. And when we look back to the biblical perspective on leprosy, to be very candid, we don't know if in every case the leprosy that was de described then was Hansen's disease, what we would call Hansen's disease today. But nonetheless, it was at a minimum a, 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 an illness or an affliction of the skin. It very likely included Hansen's disease as we know it today. But that was extremely disfiguring or could be very noticeable and was viewed as highly contagious. And we see this story of this man coming to Jesus, falling down on his face and just pleading with him, Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. And in Jesus' response, we see here the incredible sympathy, the incredible compassion of this king that we follow. And it is, I submit to you, a great example of what all of us are designed to show in our own daily lives. Let's start, first of all, by looking at this leper's condition. This leper's condition. Well, we already said what his condition was. As scripture says in verse 40 here, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to have them open with us. And there came a leper. To him. Now, the Greek word for leper literally means a scaly man. A scaly man. It has a re reference to scales, like your skin. Some people you see have skin conditions that are fundamentally scaly. They change the, the appearance and the, the, um, the feel of the skin. So this is why, again, in one case, this could refer to a broad number of kinds of conditions, even like an eczema or a psoriasis or something similar to that. But in the book of Luke, in the, in the parallel version of this story, when Luke is telling the same story from a slightly different perspective, Luke is a physician. He is referred to as the beloved physician. Luke refers to this man as being full of leprosy. In other words, we shouldn't look at this as being some patch of eczema or psoriasis on his face. This was a man who was fully afflicted. That's why I think it's most likely that this man was afflicted with what today we would call Hansen's disease. But we can't say conclusively. All we know is that he had a particular condition in his day that was marked out as leprosy, having a certain kind of condition, and we know that he was full of it. He was utterly and obviously plagued by it. He was diseased. Now, if this is Hansen's disease, we know a great deal more about this disease today than we did even 100 years ago. 
even in the last 100 years, we have recognized that leprosy, Hansen's disease, is not actually a disease of your skin. It is a disease of your nervous system. Hansen's disease attacks your nervous system, which may, may, makes it you unable to feel. And that's why we know one of the common things with leprosy is the degrading, the deforming, and ultimately even the falling off of body parts, not because it attacks the skin, but because it attacks your nerves you cannot feel and you do great damage. You literally wear away your body parts because you have no sense of pain. There was even recorded a story of a man whose fingers were gnawed away by a rat while he slept because he had no uh, a sense of pain. And those who have worked in, in leper colonies would testify to the complete lack of sensitivity that can do such great damage. But not only that, those who have been among lepers testified to, to the deformity that happens. It said that your face just completely changes and you become resembling, like a, they, they say, a lion. Your, your face has, is just deformed with patches of skin and different folds of skin, almost like a lion's folds. It's incredibly deforming, and it is ultimately completely, completely devastating disease. Now, today, there is a cure. There is at least antibiotics that can stop the spread of Hansen's disease, but this was basically unheard of until the 20th century. Lo leprosy was an absolutely loathsome disease, a fearful disease, and we see uh, in even secular historical sources going back well before the time of Christ, the story of leprosy and its loathsome character. In fact, we see in the Old Testament in Leviticus 13 and chapter 14 specific instructions for how to deal with the broader category of lep leprosy, not just Hansen's disease, but any of these kinds of potentially contagious skin conditions. So here is this condition. This man was diseased, but what's important to note about him was something else. I want you to notice here in verse 40, and there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me, what's the next word? Notice he didn't say healed. He didn't say you can make me better. You can make me cured. What did he say? You can make me clean. Now why is that? Because one of the most sobering and scary prospects of leprosy was not even necessarily a disease. It was what happened when you got the disease. Now, we'll just note this for now, but on your own time, I would encourage you, go back and read Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14 and notice God's standard in the law for how people were treated with leprosy, how seriously this condition was taken. And I just want to read two verses from Leviticus chapter 13 that apply here. Verse 45 says, And the leper in whom the plague is. So now think about this Jewish leper right here. The leper in whom the plague is. His clothes shall be rent. It will be torn. His garments will be torn. And his head bare. And he shall put a cup covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, Unclean unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp. Outside the camp shall his habitation be. 
Now, this was a social health, a public health measure to ensure that these contagious skin conditions would not broadly spread among the camp. Listen to Numbers 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, every leper. Now, when this man came to Jesus, in other words, and he says, if you will, you can make me clean, he was not just referring to clear up my skin issue. He was saying, my fundamental problem is that I am regarded as unclean. He was separated from all human society to be unclean. Can you imagine the stigma that would attach to walking around with your clothes torn, your head bare, having a covering on your upper lip, and constantly crying out, unclean, unclean, when you came in? Can you imagine what that would do to you? Unclean to everyone. Unclean. He said to Jesus, you can make me clean. You can remove the debilitating stigma that is attached to my life that is connected to this loathsome disease that I have. But notice not just he was diseased, he was defiled, but notice he was determined There came a leper to the king, to Jesus, beseeching him, pleading with him, and kneeling down to him, and saying this, If thou wilt, thou canst. Now when he says, if thou wilt, thou canst, is he, does he have in question Jesus' power to heal him, or Jesus' willingness to heal him? His willingness... He is saying, I have no doubt, Jesus, that you can, but I don't know whether you want to. I have no doubt that you are the sovereign king who has the authority to deliver me from this. But he says, I do not know if you are willing to. Now you might say, well, why wouldn't Jesus have been willing? Well, put yourself in that man's shoes. Every single day of your life, you have had people saying to you, I am not willing to be near you. I am not willing to associate with you. I am not willing to congregate with you. Can't you see why this man would have said to Jesus, I know you can, but I cannot yet believe that you will. If you will, if you want to, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. And that's why we need to see, secondly, not just the leper's condition here, but the king's compassion. Now, I want us to see here the natural response to a leper. I want you to imagine this just pathetic picture. I mean pathetic in the sense truly of pathos, of of this compassion, pity of someone coming to Jesus and just imagine his face being deformed, being the object of mockery and scorn by those around him, completely isolated from society and coming to Jesus. How do we respond to people who are in their own way different or out of the ordinary, um, whether deformed by physical uh, condition or something else? How do you think that, that, that the whole premise of something like Ripley's Believe It or Not is? The bearded lady at the circus. 
the Siamese twins, the person who has this particularly revolting or loathsome condition. Across history, that person has been looked at as an object of, of curiosity, of fascination, of revulsion. Well, I add to that revulsion because this was viewed at the time as a highly contagious disease. Now, by the way, Hansen's disease today is actually not that contagious. It is contagious, but it is not highly contagious. But I want you to imagine in that day where leprosy was viewed as so significant, so contagious, what would be the natural response? Do you know who, are, who is great at giving natural responses? Our kids. They don't know any better. I remember uh, uh, Tabitha telling me once there, that she went to the gym and she, she had our kids there. And I think that was probably only when we had three kids or something, not the crazy number of five like we do now. And a woman said to Tabitha, she said, oh, well, you have your hands full. And uh, that was not always a very actually kind thing to say because sometimes it seems more like the revolted, like, wow, you've got your hands full kind of thing. Well, one of my more tart-tongued daughters um, very innocently responded because this woman was a, a little bit uh, heavier. She said, well, you have your belly full. And that was a, a, a very startling um, uh, thing. We don't think, Tabitha actually doesn't think the woman heard it, and I really hope she didn't. But of course, like, what do you do in that situation, right? She is just making, she wasn't trying to be mean. She was just making a comment. Well, yeah, we have our hands full, and you have your belly full. It just is different, different strokes for different folks. But that's how kids, that's how kids just naturally relate. Well, think about this kind of natural revulsion. And then think about you're connected to this highly, highly, at least viewed as highly contagious disease. In fact, you can actually go look at how rabbis of the Talmudic period, immediately after Jesus, a couple hundred years after Jesus, responded to leprosy. One of them actually gave a specific kind of direction. He said, if you are upwind of a leper, in other words, the wind is blowing from you to them, you still should stay at least six feet away from the leper. Now, I thought of that's interesting because we have heard a lot about six feet of social distancing, haven't we? Do you know what they said, what this rabbi said, if you were downwind of a leper? You should stay 150 feet away. 150 feet away. One rabbi said when he saw a leper, he ran. He ran. Another rabbi said, and I kid you not, another rabbi said if he would not eat an egg that came from a district, district where a leper was. He wouldn't even eat an egg from that. In fact, to go even beyond it, one, one rabbi actually said, testified that he would throw rocks at lepers and say, get away, get away, throw rocks at them. Now you can imagine, again, this kind of revulsion. Again, if we could put it in modern terms, not really knowing leprosy, if someone in the middle of our service this morning got up and just announced to all of us, I just was diagnosed with the coronavirus. No mask, no anything like that. They're just there. Who wants a hug? I think pretty much all of us would say, no, six feet sounds great. In fact, I'm heading to my car. 
I hope you get treatment. No, but I'm serious. Like That kind of a deal. And so this leper now comes toward Jesus, bowing, kneeling down, which frankly probably already was a breach of societal protocol when it came to, comes to a leper. And how is Jesus going to respond? Notice verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. That's one Greek word, and it has the idea of being touched to your core. We think of the source of our tender virtues, our kindness, our compassion as being from our heart, not the Hebrews. The Hebrews viewed it as being from their gut. That's why we read in our um, King, King James Version talking about bowels, bowels of compassion. It's because they viewed their source of core compassion as being your gut. But you, we might say they were touched to their core, to their heart. Their heart was moved with compassion. I want you to think about this. Think about a string. When you pluck a stringed instrument, what does that string do? It vibrates, vibrates. And that's what I think of with Jesus here. Jesus looked at a man that rabbis ran from or threw rocks at. Get away, get away. Someone whose physical appearance may have been deformed in, by a, a contagious disease that would have had others be revolted. And Jesus' first reaction being confronted with this situation is not to back up. It's to look and to have the string of his heart just start vibrating. He was moved with compassion. Now, do you know, you're not going to be able to pluck a two-by-four. You're not going to be able to pluck a steel rod. You pluck a string. And some of us, I think, we have trained our hearts to be hard. We have trained our hearts to be like a block of wood that can't vibrate. To, to, to train our hearts to be like a steel rod that can't vibrate. And in doing so, we are simply not recognizing the example of Jesus Christ, who was confronted with what was loathsome, who was confronted with what was contagious, who was confronted with what caused fear among others, and his heart was moved. He was moved with compassion. But not just that. Notice verse 41. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him. Now the idea, scholars say, of this word touch is not just that he reached out and kind of did this. Like, eh. The idea here is actually that he may have grabbed him. He may have actually put his hand on him. Now why did he do that? Do you know why he didn't do that? He didn't do it to heal him. Mark wants to make that very clear. Notice, Jesus put forth his hand, verse 41, and touched him and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had what? Spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him. In other words, it wasn't in a sense the touch of Jesus. Jesus had to touch someone. No, his authority was that he could speak the word. Do you know what Jesus could have done to him? He could have backed up six feet and said, okay, be clean. And the man would have been clean. That would have absolutely been enough to heal the man. What did he do? He reached out and he touched the untouchable. Moved solely by compassion. And moved by a heart that felt what this man was dealing with. 
Now, I want you to imagine this man. We have learned today about the power of human touch. I, I could have come with study after study about what human touch does to people. How many of you are married today? If you're married here, you probably remember the first time you held hands with your spouse. Because the power of touch is such that it sears memories into our mind. It is a powerful thing, human touch. And this man probably had not experienced the touch of another human being as long as he had this disease. He had likely never been touched because people who touched him would have been ceremonially unclean. They would have become unclean. And now Jesus reaches out his hand to someone who was, could not be touched and touched him to speak to him and said, I will, I do want to be clean. Be clean. Now, you know, friends, this Jesus, this sympathetic king is the same king who is alive today and pleading with God, interceding with God on your behalf. Same king, same character, same nature. This is why as we looked at last Sunday evening in Hebrews chapter 4, the scripture says, for we have not an high priest. We have a high priest. And, but this high priest, can't, it's, he's not one who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. As we looked at last week, that word touched in the Greek is the English word from which we get sympathy we have a high priest that sympathizes with the feeling of our infirmities. His heart is always vibrating at what we're going through, at what we're dealing with, at our weaknesses and our afflictions and our struggles. And that's why scripture says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy. The same mercy that reached out and touched the leper mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That is the ultimate story here. A sovereign king who is moved with compassion at our suffering and who reaches out and touches the untouchable. And that's why I want to see not just the leper's condition, not just the king's compassion, but finally the king's care. The king's care because notice the first layer of this story. This man is cured completely. Now, if you could have been there, if this man truly was suffering from Hansen's disease, even if he were just um, uh, suffering from some other contagious condition, his skin was marked by this disease. And Jesus speaks a word, and the man immediately is cleansed. The leprosy departed from him immediately. Can you imagine that that skin just clears up immediately? If he had Hansen's disease, his folds of his face looking lion-like, it immediately becomes clear, smooth, like a baby's skin, immediately cleansed. That's authority. That's power. But notice... Notice not only he is cured, he is cleansed. He now is welcome, in a sense, back into society. And Jesus makes this clear. Notice verse 43. And he straightly charged him. Now, we don't 
really maybe know what that means. It means he sternly warned him. The word that's used here, those who know Greek say that this word comes from a word that, 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 that depicts a horse's snort. Jesus snorted a warning at him. This is serious. This is not a recommendation. This is a divine command from someone who says, I want to be really clear here. I want to be really clear here. Listen to what he says. See thou say nothing to any man. Keep it quiet. But go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. What things that Moses commanded? Go look at Leviticus chapter 14. Those things that Moses commanded. And you say, why? Why did Jesus want to do that? Well, two things. First of all, for a testimony. For a testimony. Can you imagine these priests who believed that leprosy was completely incurable, and now a man who was confirmed to be a leper comes to them and says, hey, I'm coming with the sacrifices that Moses commanded. I'm ready for an offering, because look, I'm completely clean. They would have said, well, no, we don't believe that you have leprosy. Oh, no, I, I brought my friend. He can testify to what I had been. Well, well, how did you get cured? Is there a new medicine? or a... No, a man spoke to me and said that I was to be clean. Who was that man? Oh, that was Jesus of Nazareth. Can you imagine the power of that testimony? Forcing these priests who were in charge of, of keeping the ceremonial and physical health of the people that Jesus had done this? It would have been a powerful effect. But not only that, I think. He said, go offer for your cleansing. You say, but he had already been clean. Yes, he had been. Physically. What would have going to the priests have done? it would have been the formal reintroduction into society. It would have been like having a stamp of approval from a doctor saying, yeah, you are clean. Do you know what that tells me? Part of Jesus' mercy to this man was allowing him to reintegrate into community and into society. And do you know what that tells me? We were not made to be isolated, friends. We were not made to be apart from community, apart from a fellowship, from friendship together. And that's why we need to recognize in these days where we have been more isolated, it's not enough to participate in church in isolation. It's not enough to participate in community in isolation. In, we need to be reintegrating ourselves, bringing us in to community. We were not made to be isolated and alone. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for what we see here? Well, let's start with the leper himself. Did he obey? Verse 45 says, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter. He went out and publicized it to the moon. Now, if you read the commentators, they have a hard time criticizing this guy too much. Some of them say, well, he didn't obey, but it was understandable because he was really excited. Wouldn't you be? Well, they're not quite giving the right attention to what Jesus sternly commanded him. This was not a joke. This was not just, hey, if you don't mind, if you don't mind. No, this guy flat out disobeyed. And the reason I say that so seriously is because it affected the ministry of Jesus. Mark wants to make that clear. Notice, 
insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without, outside, in desert places, and they came to him from every corner. This man, by his disobedience, in a lack of gratitude to the man who had cleansed him, negatively affected the ministry of Jesus by meaning he could not go into the city anymore. He had so publicized it abroad that the crowds just swarmed him and prevented him from going into the city. Now there's a lesson there, friends. Just obey. It doesn't matter whether you really truly understand it or not. Just obey. This man should not be excused for his disobedience to the command of Jesus. But what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us to have a sympathetic king? Here's one thing. It is very easy for some of us or some people in the world today to feel deeply unclean. Deeply unclean. It may not be because of a medical diagnosis like this man had. It may be a moral diagnosis. There are people in this city who believe if you were to ask them, Jesus could heal me, Jesus could save me, Jesus could forgive me of my sins, but they are not convinced that he wants to because they say, I have been too low. I have gone too much into the mire. I don't know if Jesus wants to. And for those people, if that's you this morning, either in this room or within the sound of my voice, you need to hear that the sympathetic king is always is willing to be moved with compassion at your affliction. He is always willing to be moved with compassion by those who will come and fall before him and say, please make me clean. I want to say that very seriously because in our world today and in this city, there are those who need to hear that message from us. There is not this sin that has taken you beyond those who will simply repent and fall in humility in the face of the sympathetic king and say, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. The word of Jesus is to them. But Christian, the word is to you too. Because there may be someone here today who feels deeply unclean. Your besetting sin cropped up again this week and you say, I am not worthy of forgiveness. Your character before God right now, your spiritual life is at, at, is at the kind of ebb, is at the low point, and you say, I don't even deserve to be in church today. I don't deserve to read my Bible in the morning. I don't deserve to pray. I am no value to Jesus Christ. And I am telling you on the authority of God's word and on the authority of the character of the king that that is not true. You are not too unclean to receive his forgiveness. You are not too unclean to receive his restoration to fellowship and to communion with him if you will just fall down before him and ask. First John chapter 1 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful. He's faithful. And he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse cleanse us, the one who feels dirty, 
the one who feels isolated in their sin, the one who feels alone in their sin, he is faithful. And friends, I just want to say, when we don't come to Jesus for forgiveness because we're not sure he wants to, what we are doing is we are accusing him of being unfaithful. We are accusing him of saying, I don't believe that you're faithful. I don't believe that you're just. I don't believe that you want to. And the sympathetic king is looking down from heaven and saying, didn't I tell you in my word that I always am being moved with compassion? I am always ready to be faithful. I am always ready to be just. Don't stay away. Don't stay away by the depth of your sin by what you're struggling and being defeated by right now, by what you've gone through this week, fall down before him again and say, I believe you're faithful and I believe you're just and I believe you will. I believe you will forgive. So first of all, there's an encouragement to all those who feel unclean in their own spiritual lives today. But the second thing that we should notice is that this is an example. Jesus' example is an example for all of us. You see, there is a fundamental test to your spiritual life that is the test of compassion. Whether your heart vibrates by the needs of others. Notice what the lepers, for a leper, the rabbis ran. The rabbi, a rabbi would throw rocks. A rabbi would back up and say, get away. While others moved away, Jesus moved toward those who had need. You say, why do you say that's a test of spiritual condition? Because God says it is. Listen to these words in 1 John chapter 3. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren, for those fellow believers like us. He goes on to say, but whoso, whoever has this world's good. What is this world's good? Resources, money, time, stuff. And, and sees his brother have need, his Christian brother or sister have need, and shutteth up his bowels, right, your guts, shuts up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwells the love of God in him? That's a test. You say, I know the love of God. I have the love of God dwelling in me. And John says, well, prove it. When you see someone with need and you have the, this world's good, what does the door of compassion in your heart do? Does it open or does it close? And if it closes, John says, how, does, how can you say the love of God dwells in you? How does the love of God dwell in you? What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. Jesus' heart was moved. It vibrated with compassion when he saw people with need. And those who are becoming like Jesus... That's who we are as Christians. We're becoming like Jesus. Our heart should increasingly vibrate with compassion for those who have need. In other words, I want you to think about it this way. Your, you and I as Christians are like a big block of granite. And the sculptor is carving out the face of Jesus on that block of granite. He's taking a hammer and a chisel and he's chiseling off pieces here. He's carving this over here. And increasingly, if we are letting him, he is making a picture, an image that looks like Jesus. And practically speaking, if we allow him, that means that people begin to look at you and they say, wow, 
this facet of your life is different. And God up in heaven is smiling and saying, yeah, because he's starting to look like my son more. Someone else says, you used to get angry all the time, but now you're not nearly governed by anger like you were before. And God the sculptor is smiling down at you and saying, yeah, that's because she's starting to look more and more like Jesus as, as I carve her image to be like my son. And the image that God is wanting to carve out in you is the image of the sympathetic king, the one who moves toward those in need, not away, the one who is not revulsed, who is not repulsed by the need, even the deformity, morally or physically, of others, but who is attracted to that need. That is the character, the image of Jesus and we should ask ourselves, who do I look like? What is my example? Now, you know, friends, I just want to be really practical for just a moment. Sometimes it's easy for us to focus that compassion only on those who are distant from us and not who are close. Husbands, do you know a great place to start if you want to re reflect the character of Christ is in your heart of compassion to your wife. That'd be a great place to start. Does your heart vibrate with her needs, with her feelings, with what she is dealing with? If you're not willing to start there, how can you say the love of God dwells in you to go reach others? Wives, the same thing towards your husbands. Parents, the same thing towards your children. Children, the same thing towards your parents. Church members, the same thing toward other church members. I'm simply saying this. Your calling today may not be to go out and minister in compassion to those way out there. It may be, first of all, just simply to start showing that compassion to those who God has put right in front of you to reflect the heart of Jesus, the sympathetic king. You know, friends, what a savior we have. What a savior to look at those who the world runs from and he moves toward. What a savior who deals with a person who if the average person touches, he gets unclean. But when Jesus touches, he makes clean. What a savior. That's the savior that I encourage every one of you to come back to this morning and fall down in front of and seek communion with him. And it's the same Savior that I challenge you this morning to seek the character, the power of God and the Holy Spirit to see your life transformed, to be moved with compassion like his. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that not only is our king sovereign, not only is he a servant, but he is full of sympathy. He is moved with compassion at the affliction of those who he has made. And Father, if we're going to look like Jesus, we're going to need to be moved with compassion in our own way. Oh, I pray, Father, for those here who are feeling unclean today, who are feeling dirty. Maybe they've never been forgiven by Jesus the first time. They need to be saved. Oh, I pray, Father, would you not, would pride not be allowed to hinder them? Would they fall down at your feet? I pray for those who are feeling unclean, even as believers. 
they need to confess their sins and know confidently that you will forgive them and restore them to fellowship, to communion with you. May they humble themselves this morning. And oh, I pray, Father, for those of us, all of us, that need to grow in our likeness to you. Mm -hmm. Father, may we start at home. May we start with our spouses, with our children, with our family, with our church family. And may that just overflow to a heart of compassion from the corner of Park and Franklin to this city in real and practical ways to minister to those whose society leaves behind. Mm 